This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Boy, I learned phonics at school. The teacher flashed cards with the vowels A, E, I, O, and U, and we in the class learned how to pronounce them. And then we learned how to pronounce all the consonants as well. I'm not gonna try to do that here, but you know what I mean. But then we were told that that was old fashioned and artificial and you needed to teach children just how to learn by reading. So you, you read and you learned the meaning of whole words and then you, you, just, you just figured it out on your own. It was a much more natural way to learn. So now scientists and reading specialists have sort of said maybe there's something to this phonics or you can do both but you can't sort of ignore the phonics dimension of things without penalizing at least some children uh and so that's sort of a that's sort of where we are in this in this conversation about reading and of course reading is really important because uh, we have seen a lot of progress made by students in mathematics over the last 50 years, but we haven't seen much progress in reading. And you would think that if our educational system is getting better and better, you would see the same progress in reading that you're seeing in, in math. And there's a lot of different explanations for why that is going on out there, but one of them might be that somehow teachers are not teaching reading correctly. So the National Council on Teacher Quality has entered the debate, and they just released a report entitled Strengthening Elementary Reading Instruction. Heather Pesky is the president of the National Council on Teacher Quality, and she's the lead author of this quite voluminous report. I'm pleased to have Dr. Pesky with me on the Education Exchange. So thank you, uh, Dr. Pesky, for joining me today. Thanks so much, Dr. Peterson, for inviting me. It's a pleasure well, to be here. All right. Well, thank you very much. So, uh, so I just laid out this debate between phonics versus whole world, whole, and I probably got it wrong. So, correct the debate and uh, tell me where how the National Council fits into this uh, larger conversation. Well, what I'll start from the place of of saying that. We know right now that too many children across the U.S. are not learning to read, and we also know that better teacher preparation can change those outcomes. So this report is very focused on teacher preparation programs, and it answers this question, to what extent are the teacher preparation programs preparing aspiring teachers to be able to teach scientifically-based reading instruction? And when it comes to your question about uh, the science of reading, there are five core components that research has definitively identified as the components that students need in a system of reading instruction. And those include phonics, which is basically the relationship between the sounds of spoken words and the individual letters or the groups of letters that represent those sounds in written words. So for students to identify the C sound in, that in cat is made by the letter C. They also, though, include four other core components, and that is phonemic awareness, which is the ability to focus on and manipulate those individual phonemes into spoken words, fluency, or the ability to read a text accurately and quickly, vocabulary, and also comprehension. So we certainly want to emphasize that the science of reading includes these five core components, 
operating in concert in order to support students to become efficient and effective and strong readers? Well, as I understand it, this whole word method says you don't really need to focus in and on phonemic awareness. You don't really need to focus on phonics. Uh, children will just pick that up on their own if you just sort of work on their fluency or getting them to, to, to read and recognize whole words. Uh, it, it, are you questioning that perspective, that, that, that stance towards the best way to teach reading? Yes, I'm questioning that perspective because of the amount of research that we have available to us now, uh, including research on on children's on their brains and how and the results of teaching and the impact on the on the synapses in their brains. I also question that approach because right now we know that millions of kids across the country are not learning to read proficiently. And as you pointed out a few minutes ago, we also know that reading is core to success and core to equity. So children who are not reading at grade level by the time they reach fourth grade are four times more likely to drop out of high school. They're more likely to have lower lifetime earnings. They often will have higher rates of unemployment. So as you pointed out in the beginning, we're not doing a good enough job of teaching our students to read, and part of that is because we're not doing a good enough job of preparing our teachers to teach children to read. Well, we have a lot of teacher preparation programs out there. I mean, the United States is extraordinary for the number of uh, teacher preparation programs, uh, given the number of students in the country. Of course, we're a big country, so we have more than, say, uh, Switzerland or Norway or something like that. But but even if you take into account the size of our population, we have well, how many teacher education programs are there in the United States? Well, there are over a thousand. And we reviewed um, almost 700 elementary teacher prep programs across the US against this question of to what extent are they preparing teachers to be able to go into classrooms and teach students to read as aligned to the science. So that's a massive number of teacher education programs, I think. Finland has like three or something. I, I, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's five, but it, it, it's a, how can you possibly have a thousand different teacher preparation programs around the country? And then, so why did you only study 700? I wanna know both of those things. Yeah. We, first of all, we looked at the teacher preparation programs that are, um, that are producing teachers who, are who become certified to teach reading at the elementary level. So that automatically removed a set of programs that prepare teachers to teach math, for example, or prepare teachers in the secondary level. Uh, we also invite the programs to participate in this review. Uh, and some of them, particularly some of the private programs, chose not to do so. So this sample of, 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 of 693, almost 700 teacher prep programs, includes the programs that provided us with their course materials for us to be able to do the review. Now, I will say, Paul, that that um, as part of the the good work that is happening out there around supporting teacher preparation programs to transition, there are states that are doing really strong reviews of their own teacher preparation programs in their states. And so states and are really quite a key in terms of being able to support and hold accountable teacher prep programs for teaching aligned to the science. So, but you're not a government agency. You're we are not. Group, so you cannot command uh, a program to say, send us your materials. 
Now, tell me a little bit about your materials. Can you really, you know, do they really tell you enough so that you conclude what they really are doing in a teacher prep program just by looking at syllabuses? Well, of course, there there are limitations to just looking only at syllabi. And yet, when we surveyed stakeholders about our preparation review, both about the criteria and the process, um, across the, the stakeholders who responded, there was consistent agreement that reviewing syllabi can tell you a great deal about what programs are teaching. And so we look at things like, um, we look at what we call instructional approaches, and so we look at, for example, the instructional hours, the course time that's dedicated to teaching the core components or teaching about how to assess students on the core components. And this is actual class time and class hours. We also look at things like background materials, like textbooks, articles, videos, or other materials that the syllabi identify as required. We consider things like the objective measures of knowledge, so what kinds of tests or quizzes or written graded assignments are given to pre-service teachers to gauge the extent to which they're ready to teach reading aligned to the science? And then finally, at the urging of reading experts and uh, content advisors, we also are looking at practice or application opportunities. So I think it's a pretty old adage that Practice makes perfect, and it seems intuitive that if you don't practice the skills and the knowledge before you get into the classroom, you will have a really hard time immediately implementing those skills and knowledge once you are in classrooms. Well, the amazing finding in your study is that 25% of these uh, teacher preparation programs teach none of these five components. So I found that totally shocking. They don't teach uh, fluency, they don't teach vocabulary, they don't teach comprehension, they don't teach phonics, and they don't teach phonemic awareness. Did That's I get that correct. Right? Phonemic? Is that how I pronounce that? It's a new <laughs> word for me. Yes. Well, you, you're sounding out the, the, um, the, the sounds of the letters as well as knowing the blends of the vowels, phonemic awareness. So yes. Phonemic awareness. So that I was taught that in my phonics by my third grade teacher how to do that. So uh, doing a good job today. So I'm really excited to have your approval. Fortunate, fortunately for you. Um, well, the question is, or the finding is that we found that only 25% of programs, only a quarter of the programs in our sample adequately addressed all five core components. Yeah, but now tell me about the 25% that don't do any of us. Yes, this is the concerning part. Um, what are they are, doing? These are 25% of the programs in our sample who did not adequately address any of the components. And so, so what when do they do instead? What do they do instead? Well, what we found, for example, is that they're not adequately giving enough time for, for teacher candidates to practice things like administering a reading screening assessment to, to groups of students. Um, we also found that a number of programs are teaching reading that in using methods that have been debunked by the research. Over 40% of programs still teach multiple practices that run contrary to the research. And these practices can impede student learning and are far less effective and efficient than practices that are grounded in the science of reading. Well, can you just give me an example? Or, or listen, sure. what are these things that don't, you know, you know, that teachers are doing or teacher preparation programs are asking 
teachers to do or training teachers to do that that really are not appropriate. So what are some- sure. So over 40% of programs are still teaching multiple practices contrary to the research. One example of this is that nearly 10% of the programs we reviewed continue to teach a, a method called three queuing, which has been debunked by the research. So 10% of programs are continuing to teach this debunked three queuing method. Well, what's three, three queuing? What's yeah. three queuing method? I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what three queuing is. Three queuing is a method by which students are asked to figure out or guess what a word says based on a combination of structure, meaning, and visual cues. And what that means, translated into kind of everyday speak, is that three queuing is basically asking students to look at the context, to look at the pictures, and then finally to look at the letters in the word to figure out whether the word looks or sounds right. Well, what's the theory behind that? Why? What? Where did this idea come from? What's well, the the it's a classic example is a, a child might see the word p o n y, um, and they um, and they see that word pony uh, next to a picture of a horse, and so the child might be encouraged to guess what the word is, and so the child logically says, "Oh, it's a horse." rather than actually sounding out using phonics and phonemic awareness, the P, the O, the N, and the Y. It's kind of, it's it's a theory that was developed um, quite a number of years ago and has since been, um, been sort of scrutinized by the research and has been found to not be a, an effective way to teach kids to read. So uh, tell us some more about this, this word that I have so much trouble uh, pronouncing phonemic awareness how it give me some more examples of that how what what is that exactly um if you were going to teach me phonemic awareness what would you do what would you tell me well of the five core components this is a good very helpful question because of the five core components phonemic awareness is least likely to be adequately addressed by the programs so we found that only one in three programs, 35%, adequately address phonemic awareness. And the reason this is concerning, which goes to your question about, well, what is this, Heather, and why does it matter? The reason it's, it's important for children to learn phonemic awareness is because it helps them to identify and manipulate individual sounds within words to be able to link those sounds to letters and written words. It's this, the phonemic awareness is the stepping stone to phonics, which then paves the way to fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. Don't mothers do that with their children at home when they're reading to them? Don't they sort of, uh, you know, point out the words and then read it to them? And, and that's how, how, how a lot of kids learn phonemic awareness? Well, certainly families are supporting their their children to learn to read. I mean, I have two daughters who are well past the ages of being young children, but um, and certainly when I was reading to them, I was pointing out words and they were repeating sounds that I was saying when I said when I read words in books. And yet we we can't just rely on families to assume that children are being taught to read. This is the responsibility of our K-12 schools. 
And it's the responsibility of the teacher preparation programs to ensure that the teachers who are teaching kids to read, the teachers we are trusting to teach our children to learn to read, know how to teach reading aligned to the bastion of research that's available to us. And, you know, it's it's interesting because teachers themselves are, are really saying that that in, in cases where they feel like they weren't properly trained, teachers are now asking for more training and, and they're asking to be remediated for the knowledge that they didn't gain, which is a real shame because uh, it really, it, it, it wastes the time of teachers in preparation programs when they don't learn the methods that are aligned to the science. And certainly it wastes the time of students when they're taught how to, how to read using methods that the research has debunked. But it's quite demanding. I mean, to teach the phenomic awareness and phonics, I can, I can remember my teachers. They were terrific teachers. I will say mm -hmm. they were terrific teachers, uh, but they worked very hard. And, you know, they made us all sit up straight and they, you know, they would bring us into small groups up to the front of the room and then they would really sort of drill us. So I don't think that's a really easy way to, uh, it's, it's hard for a teacher to do that. Well, it's your 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 insight is is right. There's um there's a reading researcher by the name of Louisa Motes who wrote a famous article entitled Teaching Reading is Rocket Science. And indeed, we need to support teachers to ensure that they learn the specifics and the research and they gain a strong knowledge base about how to teach children to read. It is certainly not some sort of natural process that comes easily to children, and kids need to be supported in learning to read, supported through those five core components in a systematic way. Well, so you've got me on board. I agree with your uh, point of view here, but what I don't quite understand is why so many teacher elementary reading education programs are not in fact just doing this as a matter of course. What's why? Why are they resisting um, a, a, a strategy that's been pretty well verified and is pretty much an old-fashioned, standard way of doing things? What's what's holding this up? Well, the good news is that it doesn't have to be this way. With effective reading instruction, we could ensure that more than 1 million additional students enter fourth grade able to read. And we know that this is possible at the teacher prep level, because we know that, that in our study, 23% of preparation programs, or 160, are getting it right. They, they earned high ratings in our new analysis for adequately covering all five core components and also for ensuring that they're teaching few or no practices that are contrary to the science. And of these 160 programs, 48 programs are what we consider A-plus exemplars, going above and beyond, providing instruction, practice, tests and assignments, and background materials that are aligned to the core components, and also teaching no practices that are contrary to the science. Well, is that, what, do you have any information on the trend line? Are, are we moving in the right direction? Do we have more programs today than we used to have like this? Or are, are these the rear guard, the people who are doing the old fashioned way and the modern way hasn't caught up with them yet? Well, we are being cautious, Dr. Peterson. We're being cautious in comparing the results of the 2023 review that we just did to the 2020 review that we did. 
uh, mostly because with feedback from experts and stakeholders across the nation, our standards for 2023 are more rigorous because experts told us you need to strengthen your requirements. And so what I would say is that in, it, we have seen progress in some states in particular, uh, even in the last few years. So hopefully we can see, and optimistically, we can see that states can accelerate change. So states like Colorado and Mississippi have enacted strong comprehensive policies that promote the science of reading. And they've also focused on strong implementation by holding programs accountable and by supporting them. Well, you know, you mentioned Mississippi, but mm -hmm. you know, my listeners are going to say, the last I saw about Mississippi, that they were among the lowest performing readers in the United States. So how well, what what I think is what I think is important to consider, and the reason that Mississippi is a, a state we we all as a nation should be learning from, is because of their acceleration and their progress, where other states have either been stagnant or declined. So my home state of Massachusetts, for example, has declined in the last few years on the National Assessment of Educational Progress, where Mississippi has seen progress and where Mississippi has held the gains even in a pandemic. So Mississippi NAEP scores, for example, on reading continued to improve from 2013 to 2019, and they held steady throughout the pandemic. When did they begin sort of um, trying to make sure their teacher prep programs were following the science of reading. Did they begin that in 2013, or is that a more recent development in Mississippi? No, I believe Mississippi started these reforms uh, in, I, th I think it was around 2013, uh, or maybe even one year before that. I'm not an expert on Mississippi. I just admire the work that they've done. The reason they've made progress and what we like to focus on there is that they have a comprehensive approach, a comprehensive set of policies to promote the science of reading. And also they have this focused implementation and they made sure to include teacher preparation in their comprehensive policies by doing things like offering courses for educator preparation program faculty so that they could strengthen their knowledge and build their own capacity by setting clear standards for what Mississippi teacher prep programs should be teaching to aspiring teachers. Colorado is another strong example where they too have set very strong standards that are specific and clear and aligned to the science of reading about what teacher preparation programs should be doing in the state of Colorado. So how did Colorado come around to doing this? What, what, what were some of the processes by which Colorado sort of said, okay, we need to move forward in this direction. And uh, can you give us some insights into how you bring about the kind of change you're talking about? Yes, that's a, it's, a, it's a good policy question uh, as well as a good practical question. So states like Colorado and Mississippi enacted very strong laws, literacy laws, that included requirements for teacher preparation programs and also included requirements for the state departments of education to review those teacher preparation programs against a set of clear standards. And then not just review them, but both Colorado and Mississippi were very clear that there needed to be a timeline established by which the teacher prep programs would show evidence that they were making improvements. So now, are you a, have you come up with model legislation that other states should adopt so as to uh, uh, 
introduced this same philosophy, this the same direction coming from the from the State Department of Education. Yes, we we have model uh, we have model policy model legislation around what states should enact respective to teacher preparation, and right now we're in the midst of collecting information from states about a number of other policies that they do or do not have in place to advance strong reading outcomes. And just in a couple of months, we'll be producing a new report where we uh, give information about each state and its progress in terms of policies to promote strong reading outcomes. Now, are districts um, falling in line then when the state issues these guidelines, these expectations? Uh, tell us about Colorado, for example. Was it easy to get the districts on board or were they reluctant to? Or So I think colleagues in states and districts, um, everyone knows that our reading results are not where we want them to be as a nation and by states. And so there's really quite a focus on trying to improve literacy results. And when it came to districts, um, states especially in places like Colorado and Mississippi, where they've had this comprehensive policy, they've often accompanied the policy, not just with mandates or requirements, but also with capacity building strategies and with funding support. And so one of the main things that districts can do is to ensure that they're adopting high quality research aligned curricula that their teachers are using. And not only are they adopting it, but that they're supporting teachers to skillfully use this high quality curricula. So what are the what are the resistance points? Who in the educational system doesn't want to uh, climb on board? Where, where, are your, where are your challenges? I think the challenges are often around implementation of new laws, where when when teachers aren't given sufficient time or sufficient coaching or sufficient professional learning to have the knowledge and skill to implement the science of reading, then, you know, at best they're confused and at worst they're being asked to do something they don't know how to do. And so those are some considerations. Uh, I'd say too, that uh, when it comes to ensuring that there are high quality instructional materials in classrooms. You know, I just left the State Department in Massachusetts about a year ago. And one of the things that we did was provide grant support. This was at the time using Pandemic Relief Fund. We provided grant support to districts that were interested in adopting and supporting teachers to use high quality instructional materials. So this is a key aspect of a district strategy. I would also say that districts could be doing more when it comes to recruiting and hiring new teachers in the district and asking them more questions and having a greater understanding of the kind of teacher preparation program experiences those teachers had. Yeah, well, lots of organizations, what they really like to do is the same thing they've always been doing. I mean, teachers like to teach the way they have been teaching. Administrators like to, you know, just do what's been done in the past too. So sort of to bring in a new approach to make sure that in fact, uh, the science of reading is being uh, implemented at the classroom level means you're going to have to overcome a lot of just in inertia out there. People wanting to just do the same old, same old. Uh, isn't that a, a, a problem that you encounter? Well, I think inertia is always a problem that that can occur, however, I think what helps to push through inertia is when teachers look at their students and they realize that they're not getting the strong, good results that they want to see. 
So many teachers have have said that that they they know they're not reaching the students in front of them and they know they're not being effective with the students in front of them. And that's why they went into teaching. They wanted to be effective with kids. And so I think where there may be resistance, it may only be because teachers haven't yet realized that their students aren't effectively learning or they may not know that the methods that they're using are not aligned with the best, best methods to teach reading or they may feel very overwhelmed and not have enough support. We know through the research that one method to change instruction, and this has demonstrable results, is through coaching. And yet coaching models are quite expensive. And so that's also sometimes uh, a district can't make that happen because they don't have the funds, or a state can't make that happen because they don't have the funds. But the way that we get through inertia is by looking at the student outcomes and the student results. And right now we see dismal data that has nothing to do with the students and families and everything to do with inequities in access to effective literacy instruction. And that's what we need to change. So we looked at uh, phonemic awareness as the area where there's the least instruction going on in our uh, colleges of education, but what's the component which they do provide adequate instruction? So the the place that so what we saw was that that only uh, about a little more than half of the programs were adequately covering phonics. Fifty six percent of them, forty seven percent of the programs were covering fluency. Fifty five percent of the programs were adequately covering vocabulary, and the area where they were best or the most coverage was in comprehension. In comprehension, we found that 62% of the programs were adequately addressing comprehension. And comprehension means ensuring that students have the skills, the knowledge, and the strategies to understand what's being read to them and eventually understand what they will read to themselves. So that's all very good. But by that time, I mean, if, if you've got control of fluency and if you've got control of vocabulary, then comprehension can be just a lot of fun, right? It's it's fun to teach kids to understand what they're reading because that's a really meaningful thing to talk about. It's a great, you know, when you can talk about what this really means with with your children. Uh, it's an enjoyable experience. It's not it's not grinding through the the meanings of all these consonants and the pr pronunciation of all these vowels. So, isn't it isn't the compre the fact that that schools of education are good at teaching comprehension because it's sort of what's pleasant to teach. Well, I think that's kind of a, a description that is a little bit of a caricature about how you teach reading. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, uh, or more recently been with a five-year-old when that child is sounding out a word and when that child understands that the sounds k-a-t mean cat, it's actually a very joyful, endearing experience. You see this well, wonder come yeah, on kids' faces. Uh, yeah, if it's my grandchildren, yes, I can see that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if it's somebody else's uh, six-year-old, it's, it's a lot of work. Well, maybe some people get more excitement out of it, but you have to to get some excitement out of it to really be a good teacher. I, I, do, I do agree with you on that. And, and maybe some people just have that capacity. So the question there is, don't you just want to find teachers who really 
want to do this and or can you actually train them to have the capacity to do this? Well, I think the answer to that is both and. Teachers both want to teach kids to read effectively and get that wonderful experience of, of children understanding something new. It's delightful. And they know that they need the knowledge and skills to be able to do that. Now, you asked a minute ago about comprehension. One thing to note is that the, that part of children understanding what they read in text also has to do with the content knowledge and, and what they know about the content. And so it's it's not just a matter of kind of enjoying teaching kids comprehension. It's also a matter of ensuring that they have access to the content knowledge so that when it comes to a text and they're reading it, even if they understand what the words mean, sometimes they don't always understand what they're reading about because they don't have the content knowledge to be able to, to access that text. So this is um, the so core all knowledge these, argument, isn't it? Isn't that sort of what the core knowledge? Like the E.D. Hirsch uh, argument, yeah. is that what you mean? Core, the yes. Core Knowledge Foundation? Yeah. Yes, that is part of their argument. And research backs that up, that, um, that it's really important for children to have the content knowledge in order to be able to understand what they're reading. But I would say, I think to your earlier, to your question or your comment a minute ago, um, these five core components work in concert with each other. And teachers really want to be able to well teach these five core components to their students, because when they do, it's a joyful enterprise of learning to read. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Pesky. Uh, it's been a fascinating discussion to learn how children do learn how to read and how poorly we are training our children, teachers today to, to actually carry out this task. So thank you very much for uh, sharing your insights uh, with our audience today on the Education Exchange. Well, thanks so much for your interest, Dr. Peterson, and thanks for your great questions. And I hope that you have a great summer filled with time with your grandchildren sitting, reading books, or them reading to you. So thanks we're trying for your to get, today. We're going to take some uh, to, uh, to Prague to give them some content knowledge. So they will that's I, terrific. What is the best way of providing content knowledge? Thank you for your time. I have been speaking with Heather Pesky, president of the National Council on Teacher Quality. She is the lead author of a report entitled Strengthening Elementary Reading Instruction. Thank you, Dr. Pesky, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time.